meaningless, meaningless as the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like those. Their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to this. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every human being, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly today. Suggest that because it's interesting because you've walked the path of Ecclesiastes and you get to the end and they're like, you know, I told you what this was about all the way back at the beginning. So go and read the beginning again, and that'll add more context to it. And I think the same is true for us, is that as we reach the end of Ecclesiastes, it's important to remember where we start, that this this character, the teacher, Kohelet, was introduced as one who says at the first instance we meet him, meaningless meaningless. All is meaningless. But not only did we hear that, that meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, we followed the path that the teacher recommends. That, that the teacher has this way of sort of bringing us into the journey of meaninglessness, and we tried to listen to him. Now, most Sundays, I, I tried to resist jumping to the end, or jumping to like, there's life above the sun. So the narrator has, has been using this, and I've been trying to, to stick within his frame. What is he trying to teach us? Now, there are people who would say, that's an error. He's trying to teach us nothing, and that's what the frame narrator is there at the end. And that's like, um, 
Trevor Longman, who I took Old Testament with, funny enough, I was, I was reading his commentary, and that's essentially his argument for Ecclesiastes, is that it's a journey on things that you shouldn't do with a small addendum on what you should do. And we always wonder, that's fine, but how's that preach? Um, you know, you can't really preach the book if the answer is just always sitting forth at the end. But it was nice to find other voices who said, you have to walk this path. You have to hear the world in this way so that you don't end up in the world numbed to everything that's there. That you end up in this way of sort of um, hearing. So this is, this is our last Sunday in the book of Ecclesiastes today, although David will teach on it next week, which means next summer is Job. Um, we'll gain insights from Job. Slightly less optimistic until the ending. It actually has a happier ending than the book of Ecclesiastes, but much longer in the desert than the book of Ecclesiastes does. So much longer, and then the summer after that, we'll tackle Song of Songs, that book. Um, as, we, as I've tried to say every week, the teacher, the congregant, the leader, the one we've been hearing from up until now, um, we'll call Kohelet. And I'll, I'll go over that phrase again, you know, as we hear Kohelet, we're talking about the one who wrote the book. Um, and then the other sort of vocab word we've used the whole time is this one that appears again today, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless which is why we have our little um, smoke machine. Um, this idea in which life has this sort of vapor quality to it, this, this smoke quality to it, and then as we see it, we try to reach out and grab it and to make sense of it. And what the book of Ecclesiastes says, until this last chapter at least, is it's always evasive to us. If you want to ask, and this is, we're going to do some summary for this sermon too. If you want to ask what um, profit there is in life. Kohelet says you, you can't, the teacher says you can't chase profit. You'll die, one, that's his trump card. And two, even if, even if you do live a long time, you don't know quite how everything works out. And so he's got this saying that, you know, that there's uh, eternity in our heart, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and out of context we go, aren't those beautiful Bible sayings? And then in context, as we listen to the teacher in Kohelet, what he says is, that is the frustrating part of being human. We have this longing for eternity with us. We have this heart that wants to make sense of things, and yet that, and God has a, and yet that is not available to us. It's not something we can grasp or reach ourselves. It was this Sunday, as I was studying to it, it was, um, um, I was bumping into the fact, uh, I should have thought about this more, but that, that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are right next to each other in the Bible, which is obvious if you're flipping through it. Although most people use phone Bibles today, so it's not quite as obvious. But this, this tension between Proverbs, this rightly ordered world, where everything goes as it should. You follow the script, you do what you should, and then life works out for you. It's a simplistic summary of Proverbs, and I don't think it's a true statement about Proverbs, but you can certainly live in the world of Proverbs and come to this understanding that if I aim at what I seek to find, and if I begin to pursue it, life will work out. And then you get the book of Ecclesiastes that suggests that's not guaranteed to us. First, death awaits us at the end, and we can't figure that out. But there's all sorts of other things, too, that, that life fractures in various ways. That life is tainted in some ways that we get frustrated along the way. We lose our job. Um, 
you could be, you could imagine, um, I have friends who are actually, uh, or people I knew that were training to be reporters in, in like 2015. It's like, good luck with that one. But your job disappears over time. Like we still have magazines, but it's not like it used to be. Like, so you train for something that disappears, or you, you try to order your life in such a way that you built a good household and then the economy collapses, or you follow life in these ways. And so the scripts that we have fail. This is the world of Ecclesiastes. And it leads the teacher, as it's summarized for us again this Sunday, to say, meaningless, meaningless, smoke, smoke, hevel, hevel, all is lost. Now this is, this is my last attempt to, to use a sermon illustration. Um, this is a sandcastle, which I don't know why I felt the need to explain. Um, uh, for, for those of you wondering, this is a sandcastle. You've never seen one before. Um, this, this too is actually funny enough. Rosie made this for me this morning at my request. Is a kinetic sandcastle. Um, it's magnetic sand that you're not supposed to eat. That's the main thing I worry about with my kids with it. Because um, it like morphs well. Um, this this is a I, I learned I knew about this in Oregon and, and one of the teachers for the Bible Project brought this out as an analogy for the Book of Ecclesiastes. But in um, Oceanside or Seaside Canyon City, actually all the sort of towns on the Oregon coast have these competitions where morning comes and you go out and they have a sand castle competition. And the people who build those sandcastles can build sandcastles like this. And so they build and build all day long. It's a metaphor for our life. We build and build all day long. And then what happens is the judge comes out around 5 o'clock before the sun begins to go down and the evening comes and goes to all the sandcastles and wins. This is the best sandcastle. So they receive an award, and there's a little trophy, this, that. And then everybody walks back 20 feet and watches the tide come in and destroy all the sandcastles. And wipe all that work away for hours and hours. I have an image of that. This is kind of a sandcastle. Um, the tide comes in and destroys all that they have worked on all day. It's our final metaphor for sort of the book of Ecclesiastes. That what Kohelet sees is that we are people who go out and we work and try to put into order and try to organize all day long, all our lives. And what happens ultimately is we take a step back that comes for us all and it's washed away in the tide. It's disappeared and it goes away. So that's the challenge of what the book of Ecclesiastes has proposed for us as we've listened to it. And what the teacher has said is that that makes it meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, except he's provided ways for us to find meaning in life. Last Sunday, we, we talked about this phrase, defiant joy. Um, that Kohelet helps us, the teacher helps us um, hear life in its suffering, in its realness, and in its pain, so that we are we are called back to joy, and it's a joy that's aware of what life is. Oftentimes, we can have superficial joy that we use throughout our lives. What the Bible says is that, that there's a joy that comes on the other side of knowing how life works out. 
Now for many of us, there's this challenge to, whenever I say for many of us, I mean myself first, is that there's this challenge to just find life in the shallows. It's nice to be able to go watch a sporting event, to go sit in the sun, to ignore all that's there. But what Kohelet kind of does, and what this book does for us in the Bible, is it tells us the truth about what's there, so that when we're called and brought to joy on the other side of it, it's a real joy that knows how it is. It's not a head-in-the-sand joy. This, too, we see in the cross. The joy that we find on the other side of the cross is one that knows the reality of the one who is crucified. When the New Testament calls us to joy, it knows that the world has tried, or has, has killed the divine light as it came amongst us. And we, too, are guilty of that as well. That even the best that God could offer us, we sought to distinguish. And so the resurrection brings us back to real joy. Joy that we can have again. And I think this is important for us because there's often ways in which we can go through reading and living biblically in which we ignore um, the truth of math. That we can pad ourselves in lives. But the way the script of the Bible is, is that it's that it all works out. Um, this is the stinging part of Ecclesiastes for us. We'll get to that as the teacher uh, summarizes for us. Um, memento mori is another thing that the teacher latches onto, is to remember that you will die so that then you seize the day. This is one of his, his common passages as well. Um, and the last one, which came from last week, was that um, we live on borrowed breath. That being human is being a creature, and that life is eccentric to us, it is outside of us. That we live on breath borrowed from God. And so Kohelet ended his, his speech last week with, and the dust returns to the ground where it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. He's talking about death. But what he names for us is that this breath that was in us this, um, what fills our lungs and brings us about is um, borrowed. And as we are extinguished, it returns to where it came from, to God, the God who gave it to us. And so this is where we find ourselves today, the end of this realistic book. And so the frame narrator, who is almost... Um, Perhaps it's sort of wise to take as a father, because he says, my son, in the next section, um, comes and summarizes Kohelet's teaching for us. Sorry, I went too far. Uh, he summarizes Kohelet's teaching for us again, which is quite simply meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, and yet this other character comes in to sort of reframe and recast the book. Now, there are multiple different ways you can take when you get to this point. Um, one of it is there's, is there's this idea in which he's correcting Kohelet. That what the frame narrator is going to do in this next section is sort of correct Kohelet. There's another way in which he's um, undermining Kohelet. So, so the first is sort of bringing him back into tact with the tradition that is Israel's tradition. 
The second is, is that he uh, um, is, is purposely saying, this is not the way. You listened, uh, I find this one hardest to believe because essentially, you listened to 11 chapters of not the way, um, so that I can point you to the way. Um, biblically, I could think you could have a role for that in the canon, but it, it doesn't seem to me to do it right. Um, what I think we're going to see as we walk through this is the brave name narrator actually wants to expand the story. So Helen's gone about as I looked at all that was there under the sun. Well, it's worked with what he literally can see in life. And what the frame narrator is going to say is that is true as a part of the story. But for the faithful Israelite, and then therefore for the faithful Christian, it's only part of the story. And how is it we pull back and expand the word of the story? How is it we hear more? And so he starts with this, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set order many proverbs. The teacher searched just to find the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The teacher being the word Kohelet, um, again, in the Hebrew. But what he's, he's saying here is first that the teacher um, was successful in imparting knowledge to the people. But the second step, he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs, is, is to sort of say that his quest was incomplete in some ways. Kohelet, for the frame narrator, is a searching one. Um, he's the one continuing on the path. I didn't think of this before now, uh, but he, he lives that U2 song. He still hasn't found what he's looking for, um, is what Kohelet lives, is that he's one who sort of sought this out and tried to do that. The teacher searched just to find the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Again, this seems to be a reference to what he saw he wrote was upright and true, to what was under the sun. Again, there's, there's people who interpret this as sort of a cheap shot. Um, the words of the wise are like goads, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of addition to anything to them. Now this is, um, this is, is what a goad looks like. Um, and this, this thing is what he compares what Kohelet has said. That the words of the wise are like goads, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. Hearing the book of Ecclesiastes then meant to prompt a poking inward. Now what we hear um, here too is that the work of a shepherd. So I don't, uh, I've never been a rancher of any sorts, just in case you were wondering, but um, I don't know what animals think as they get poked and prodded along the way of life. I imagine it's not a lot of fun. That particularly does not look like a lot of fun. Um, but if it's the work of the shepherd, it is a work for their goodness. Away from this path, away from that wolf, away from the danger that lurks over there. The water is too deep here to cross. And that's the challenge for us, I think, so often as we live in relation to God, is when we feel goads, pricks, struggles along the ways, to take the leap of faith to say how that might be for us. That, that that project failed, that that idea is closed, that that door is no longer the way for me. 
sometimes might be to go the pushing of the one shepherd who pushes us on our way in life. This um, uh, is, uh, I was going to give a triple warning for super white Jesus. Um, uh, but the idea is, is that what we have hearing those words, that they come from one shepherd. What we try to do over the course of the sermon is to hear how Jesus also instructs us in the way that Kohelet does. He is one who calls himself the good shepherd. And he has warned us that, that don't build bigger barns because you don't know when you're going to die. Don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough problems for its own. But Jesus has had his own way of poking us in the Sermon on the Mount. Wise man builds his house upon the rock, sand washes its way. It's easy to, to sort of live in this divide between Jesus and, and the book of Ecclesiastes, um, but I think it's because you're not really listening to Jesus sometimes. Is that he too is trying to correct us towards thinking we have it all worked out, thinking we have it all under our control, and call us into living, um, I've used this phrase before, forget what Eugene Peterson translates to get there, but the unforced rhythms of grace. I believe it's in the Come to Me uh, All You Are Weary uh, and Find Rest. He says that Jesus instructs us in the unforced rhythms of grace. If you're like me, I say, can I still be forceful and learn those rhythms? Can I still be in control and learn the unforced rhythms of grace? That's not the way it works. So these these words are meant to prod us, but it's it's the work of faith to say that they come from the shepherd. Uh, Hart read for us too from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. To trust in God in that way. There are all sorts of ways in which the Bible is trying to free us from anxiety and control, um, and yet we find ways to sort of gloss over them. I think sometimes Kohelet can be like that note that falls out of place to like bring back to reality, to really hear what's being said. The quote on the back of the bulletin this morning, though, I find is a, a, a comical sort of way of getting back uh, to Kohelet. The top part isn't supposed to be on there. I miscopied this. I think we ought to read only the kinds of books that wound or stab us. You could, I could have stopped there, I guess. Um, if the book we're reading doesn't wake us up with a blow to the head, what are we reading for? So it'll make us happy as you write. Good Lord, we would be happy precisely if we had no books, and the kind of books that make us happy are the kind we could write ourselves if we had to. But we need the books that affect us like a disaster, that grieve us deeply, like the death of someone we love more than ourselves, like being banished into forests far from everyone, like suicide. A book must be the axe for the frozen sea within us. That's my belief. One of the, somebody asked me last week if, if Kohelet could be phrased as an existentialist. Franz Kafka is an existentialist author, but like we listen to Kohelet because it's the type of book we need. It's goads and nails of the kind that breaks the frozen sea inside of us. It was necessary and good for us to hear these words, painful as they might be.
of the, uh, he continues, um, be warned, my son, of adding anything into condition to them. This, this I think, is important. One, it says son, we talked a little bit about how wisdom is always phrased in elder to younger. Um, and being the ancient Near East, that most commonly comes in father to son. Although you'll find um, areas, particularly Proverbs, where it comes from mother to son. Um, it's almost always son. Um, but, but it's this idea that wisdom is this thing that's passed on. It's not something that we just read a book and find, but it's something that comes through generation. And so he warns his son um, of finding anything in addition to him, which I, I think is to say that there's a warning if you continue down this path. If you're looking for what to read after Kohelet, and you think something other than the book of Proverbs, or maybe um, something that, that's on the redemptive path, you're going to end up in dark places, is perhaps the father's warning. I was thinking about this. Um, the most contemporary analogy for this in a weird way is, you can imagine the son has come under the influence of Kohelet, um, and the father actually listened to Kohelet. Now, when I was growing up, if a child became under the influence of some other thinker, or most likely music, the parent would roll their eyes, turn off the radio, walk away, or denounce them. The father, or the voice of, of the frame narrator, is one who says, we've listened to this together. Now I'm speaking to myself. To be a parent like that, to say that you found something that brings you to this point in the world. Let us listen to it together. And then correctly say there was wisdom there. That's what the Father said first. He offered wise things. He suffered for this truth. But what then he's going to say is, is that we shouldn't walk further down this path. This path was what we needed to hear from this. And so then he goes, from the making of books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. This is just a side note. I, as, I was, as I was running, I was listening to a podcast this week, and I was thinking, this is podcast. Um, we produce and produce and produce, so much so that there's no more silence left in my life. Every moment of my life can now be reutilized. I'm cooking breakfast. I can learn something. I'm driving in my car, and I can have more information pumping into my brain. That like we've pretty much taken all of the silence that could have been like crafted as silence, which often we ignored or numbed ourselves to, but now we can at least justify it with a positive thing. I listened to a wonderful interview this week during the time that I could have been in silence. You notice myself I threw myself under the bus first on this. I was running listening to podcasts. This is not an argument against podcasts. This is an argument to turn it off sometimes. Of the making of books, of the making of content, there is no end. Funny enough, there was one of the, um, Jocko Lule was one of the commentators I was working with, and he talked about, this will be terrible when we get to video. Um, and he wrote that in 1993. I was like, he predicted TikTok. Um, like, three seconds, swipe, swipe. Swipe, swipe, like no video has any lasting effect and you can just go forever. Like there is no end to the swiping of our modern social media apps. We can just keep going and going and going. The father's word to pause is, is to say that in reflection and pausing and in silence and, and instilling is where wisdom is found. 
I can keep consuming and consuming and consuming, and I might get smarter, highly unlikely, um, but I will certainly never get wise, because I've never paused and reflected. The study that wearies the body, we just keep going and going and going. So this is the conclusion of the book. All this has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. The father, the voice of the frame narrator, gets the final word here. What it says is that we've heard all this, but here's the conclusion of the matter. Keep being an Israelite, even though it may not make sense. Keep being a Christian, even if it doesn't lead to the ultimate profit you think you've been promised. At the end of the day, he says that these are the patterns, and we've talked about this book coming out of exile. Like, it, it, as we've lost temple, as we've lost the place that we can practice our faith, as we've lost the home for our sacrifices and that which properly ordered our lives, what is the chief thing for us to do then? Is to keep doing what we've always done. Keep fearing God. And trusting that his commandments lead us into life. For this is the duty of all mankind. This this uh, all mankind, the whole of a person, would be more of an accurate translation, the weight of a person, from um, the Hebrew. Uh, but it's appeared three other times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Two around carpe diem passages, it's the whole of the person to eat and drink and to rest. Um, and then once around death, that when he says uh, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, this is the duty of all mankind, same phrase. Um, I think what the Father, again, as we said, perhaps maybe pulling back and expanding the picture. Yes, seize the day. Yes, find instruction at the funeral. But as we step back further, fear God and keep his commandments. The, the beginning of wisdom, this poster Chris made for us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom throws us back into that intro to the book of Proverbs, that, that we will uh, find this life in fearing God um, and keeping his commandments. The last word, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything, every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. This, Kohelet has alluded to, but he's found it frustrating because he can't see it. What the frame narrator says is, we walk faithfully even if we can't. Kohelet's not wrong. Under the sun, this truth is one that we can't grasp. But we continue on it nonetheless. And what, as, as I started, we've gotten so familiar with this passage at least, is that judgment is the freeing word. Now judgment and justice have, have equal sort of weight too. We want justice, we don't want judgment. Um, how do you intend to achieve justice then? Um, justice needs a no within it. It needs to have that this ends. And so that God will bring and reveal everything, whether a hidden thing, which I found first as like a, a word for other people, and then 
Like, the only person who knows hidden things is yourself. All your hidden things um, in the judgment. That was a that was a challenging word because you don't know other people's hidden things, um, but you do know yours. And that that's a, a terrifying I think sentiment if you think about it. So moving on, um, whether it's good or evil, that God will make sense of this whole. That the story in which we've been frustrated by trying to figure out this Kohelisness still has, in some sense, a master storyteller who will make it all make sense, who will bring it into its fullness. Now, Brian read from Romans for us, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will reveal to reveal us, for creation waits an eager, ex eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. <laughs> the creation was subject to frustration, frustration, not by its choice, but, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. I highlighted that word frustration because Ecclesiastes doesn't really appear in the New Testament, but that word um, frustration is the Greek word in the middle here, uh, of the circle. I have a Bible app that then tells me in the Greek Old Testament, which is not, there is no New Testament, but in the Greek Old Testament that the Jews of Jesus has used during Jesus' time, or Paul would have been familiar with, this word means vanity, and if you look at the bottom left, it would have been the word that Paul is using here, that creation was subject to frustration is the same word that we've been hearing as smoke, as meaningless, as vapor, as hell. But Paul acknowledges in Romans that creation has been subject to frustration, to smoke, to meaninglessness, to, to the tiringness of it. What he says is that that will bring about, or what we're seeing brought about through that frustration is what God has promised to reveal the people of God who are moving beyond that, the first fruits of beginning to know God, of being adopted in redemption of our bodies, in this hope we have been saved, this hope in which we are called into. The New Testament, too, sees that creation is frustrating and meaningless. Yet because of the resurrection, they begin to see the light in which new life is dawning. It was subject to decay so that it might be liberated from its bondage. The final word. There's nothing new under the sun, Kohala said toward the start. The book of Isaiah. See, I am doing a new thing. Jesus in the book of Revelation. I am making everything new. Under the sun, there is nothing new. Isaiah's prophecy, see what God is going to be doing is making a new thing. In the fullness of time that we await in God's reconciliation and judgment of all things that the frame there is alluding to, we hear the words of Jesus saying, I am making everything new.
This world might be worn out and tired and seem like smoke and vapor. But we wait for the one who doesn't abandon it to decay, but then renews it by making all things new. So we finish the book of Ecclesiastes with the Father, the conclusion of the matter. Now all has been heard. Hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything hidden, whether it is good or evil. Let us pray. God, you have called us to hear these bows and nails in this book that has been received into your hand in your Bible. These are words that sting, though they may guide us through your shepherd's hand. And so too we felt, as the teacher feels, that life under the sun is truly as he narrates it to be. Frustrating, outside of our control, meaningless, purposelessness, smoke, as we try to grab it. But in your wisdom, you provided for us a final word. That while these things are upright and true, and attempted to be made right, we can take a step back and see how it is you who will bring about the renewal of these things for your judgment. So as in the meantime we've heard these things and it might have pushed us to despair, the voice of the frame narrator of the Father says to us, continue on the path in which we God has called us. Continue to fear God, for that is the beginning of wisdom. To continue to follow his instruction, because that leads to the path of life, even if we can't see it fully. So as creation has been subject to frustration, so too we hear the redemptive word that comes through your resurrection, upon which we begin to gain the first fruits of that hope in which you have placed within us. We become adopted into this kingdom. We await that future word in your son. I am making all things new. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.